is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Black Bolt. It is rapper day on Black Bolt, and everyone that knows me knows how excited that makes me feel. Uh, today is, is a little bit different and a little bit special. One of the reasons why is because I have been a consumer of this man's music for over two decades. Uh, there, there's been some interesting incarnations as the way uh, at the way this this man has evolved as an artist, and there's also been some really um, interesting life experiences that he's had that he's put inside his music. He's a lyricist. He's a poet, and his name is Sage Francis. Sage, what is up, buddy? How are you? Hey, can you hear me? I, I can hear you. I... Now I can't hear you at all. Oh, you can't hear me at all right now? I think my mic is... That's weird. Now I can't hear you. Oh, well, that is odd. I don't know what to say <laughs> What to say about that. Uh, check a wonderful settings. introduction. Now I can't hear you at all. Um, Hold on. Can you hear me now? Show. Check audio settings on the podcast. Weird. Everything was going great. I heard everything right up until you just introduced me. Uh, So we're with Sage Francis. I'm trying to get him to be able to hear me. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone else can hear me. (laughs) We'll find out in a second. Um, Hold on a second. Do you have headphones? Sorry, everybody. Um, this is a live show, so we're trying to figure out why it is that he can't hear me. I'm going to leave and come back. How about now? Yeah, let me see if I get... I'll put my headphones in, see if that helps. Okay. So while we wait for Sage Francis, <clears throat> I'm going to play I'm going to play your video. While we work it out. Okay, I'm going to play uh, Sage Trance's video while we try to figure out what's going on here. Uh, this is called The Best of Times. This got me through a whole bunch of stuff, uh, and we'll see if Sage Trances can hear me when we get back. Sorry, man. We get this going as well. We're gonna be got to read a couple books and do some research before I reach my verdict. Never thought that I was perfect. Always thought that I had a purpose. I used to wonder yeah. if I'd live to see my I think first I'm just kiss. working off of the most difficult thing that I did was recite my own words at a service, realizing the person I was addressing probably wasn't looking down from heaven or cooking up something in hell's kitchen, trying to listen in or eavesdrop from some other dimension. It was self-serving, just like this is. Conveniently religious On Easter Sunday and on Christmas The television went from being a babysitter to a mistress Technology made it easy for us to stay in touch while keeping a distance So we just stay distant and never touch Now all we do is text too much I don't remember much from my youth Maybe my memory is repressed Or I just spent too much time wondering if I'd live to have sex 
I fell in love for the first time in fourth grade, but I didn't have the courage to talk to her. In eighth grade, I wrote the note and slipped it in somebody else's locker. Considered killing myself because of that. It was a big deal. It was a blown cover. It was over for me. My goose was cooked. Stick a fork in me. The jig is up. Blew my chances. The rest is history. Our future was torn asunder. It became abundantly clear. I was only brought here to suffer. At least I didn't include my name. Thankfully, I wrote the whole note in code, and it had ten layers of scotch tape safety seal, making it impossible to open. Plus, it was set to self-destruct. Whoever read it probably died laughing. I wonder if they lived long enough to realize what happened. A year later, I came to understand that wasn't love that I was feeling for her. I had someone else to obsess over. I was older, and I was very mature. I forged my time signature while practicing my parents' autograph because I was failing math. Disconnected the phone when I thought the teacher would call my home. Checked the mailbox twice a day. At the end of a long dirt road, steamed open a couple envelopes like I was in private detective mode. If you snoop around long enough for something in particular, you're guaranteed to find it. For better or worse, that's how I learned it's best to just keep some things private. It was the best of times. It was the end of times. Child with a pen and pad, writing a list of things I could never have. Walls in my house were paper thin, and the squabbles seemed to get deafening. My memory served me correctly and made it a point to avoid and forget some things. Proudly to keep from being embarrassed, never meant to upset or give grief to my parents. Kept my secrets, hidden my talents in my head, never under the mattress. Therapy couldn't break me, never learned a word that would ensure safety, so I spoke softly. And I tiptoed off, and the door to my room was like a big old coffin. The way that it creaked when I closed it shut, anxiety's peaked when it opened up. As if everything that I was thinking would be exposed, I still sleep fully clothed. It was the best of times. It was beautiful, it was brutal, it was cruel. It was business as usual, heaven, it was hell. Used to wonder if I lived to see 12. When I did, I figured that I was immortal. Loved to dance, but couldn't make it to the formal. Couldn't bear watching my imaginary girlfriend bust a move with any other dudes. Tone look was talking about a wild thing, but I was still caught up with some child things. Scared of a god who couldn't spare the rod, it was clearly a brimstone of fire thing. Pyromaniac, kleptomaniac, couldn't explain my desire to steal that fire. Now I add it to my rider, like, please, oh, please don't throw me in that patch of briar. It was the best of times.
That was Sage Francis with the best of time. Sage, can you hear me, buddy? I can hear you now. Yay. Okay, we worked <laughs> it out. Sage got yeah. on the new computer. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you for Thank doing you this. so much. Sorry for that blunderous intro, oh. but uh, yeah. Oh, it's all good. Pleasure. It's all good. There's a price of doing a live show. That used to bother me a lot, like when I first started doing podcasts. Uh, I did a podcast with Noam Chomsky once, and um, before we went on air, like a second before we went on air, he's like, this has captions, right? <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, it doesn't have captions. It's a live show. Um, I don't have the AI app yet that like live captions a show. And he's yeah. like, because I'm almost blind. And I'm like, okay. Um, or, or deaf, he said. And I'm like, okay. Um, do, you, do you still want to do the show? He's like, we'll figure it out. And then I realized it worked perfectly because I would say the question really like with diction and enunciation. And Noam Chomsky just, he takes 15 minutes to answer a question. So I'm just like, right. <laughs> it's all good. Well, I'll um, need that as well. Can you yell your questions at yeah, me? <laughs> I sure can. Um, you were born in Miami, but grew up in Rhode Island. Right. I, you're about my age. I'm 47. I just turned 47 actually yesterday. Um, and I'm wondering what, where you were, if you remember, uh, when you first heard a rap song and what did it do to you? if anything, like, like how did you get introduced into the music of hip hop? And, and, and you, you can tell me about that. Cause I'm always interested in origin stories. Yeah. Well, in our, we are very similar in age. So when we were kids, hip hop <clears throat> had a, like a fad phase in pop culture. Mm-hmm. So it would appear um, uh, on TV and commercials sporadically <clears throat> And never taken seriously. It kind of was just like joking around. But you know, there was like the break dance classes at the YMCA. I don't. You don't have that in Canada, but oh, um, I think we do. Do you have YMCA there? We have YMCA. Yeah, and 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 you're right. It was a big trend for a long time. Like, did did you grow up with a bunch of white kids who like went through all the incarnations of trends? Like they were skaters for a little while. Yeah, and they were of break course. dancers for a little while. You yeah. Know? And when we were kids, it was like, there really wasn't too much to choose from. So mm-hmm. you either, you were a metalhead, you were a skater, you were a punk, uh, you know. Um, so hip hop in particular is what kind of like drew me in when I, even when I first heard it. And I can't say I, I remember exactly the first hip hop song I heard. But um, I do remember the early NWA and Fat Boys mm-hmm. tapes circulating um, my social group, particularly when I was at like summer camp. And um, and I do remember there was a, a public service announcement on on television where this girl was rapping about uh how you shouldn't smoke cigarettes uh and i can remember that because i i pinpointed that rap while i was at my aunt's house and i i told her i was like hey i like this stuff like what is this i, I want more of this yeah uh, she had no clue what the hell i was talking about and she was like <laughs> you like this like what are you talking about <laughs> so I had to go on a like deep digging mission in order to find any and all things related to rap or hip hop. Um, and th- thankfully there was a couple college radio stations in my area where I was able to tune in. It was about one hour every week yeah. where they would play rap songs uh, or do like hip hop mixes 
and if I was lucky enough to catch them or I was in range, I'd tape them. So I have, I still have a lot of the cassettes from that era. And I was really eight, nine, ten years old mm-hmm. during this time. I was very, um, I lived in a very isolated area. I was an only child, so I was left to my devices a lot of the time. That's where I spent a lot of my time. Um, I guess obsessing over this thing that I didn't truly understand, but for some reason I really loved, I really wanted to know more and more about it as much as I could. I wanted to include myself. I tried as often as I could, but it was not popping in my area. It was like not, there was no group I could join. There was no mentors who could show me the way I just had to figure out piece by piece what this thing was until eventually Uh, more people became familiar with it and were able to tap me into other uh, resources that would help me like familiarize myself with um, hip hop. Yeah. That's interesting actually, because if you grew up in the, did you grow up in the suburbs basically? Yeah. I mean, not even the suburbs. It was more rural. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I live in a, I live in a forest right now as an adult. Yeah. I I lived in the woods. Uh, The, the, the suburbs were interesting because um, for exactly what you just said, the idea of me and, uh, and and just a few friends in this area that we lived in outside of Toronto, which was uh, this town called Whitby, but there was a ton of kids. There was like four high schools in our town of a hundred thousand people. And there was, you know, uh, a lot of kids hardly any hardly any black kids and hardly any people listening to hip hop and if i didn't realize and i found it really interesting afterwards when i found out when i started digging into the history of of the new york scene and found out that punk and hip hop sort of like they, they shared spaces and a lot of them became friends with one another uh, i think rick rubin is sort of a conduit between those two scenes and everything uh, or at the time it became punk for you to like hip hop as a young white kid in the suburbs. Like it, it was the rebellious thing to do. Did it feel that way at the time or was it not, was it more about for you, this, the creative outlet mostly? Yeah, it didn't feel like that to me, not at first. And then later on in life, I look back on it and see how it was in New York and I see the similarities. I see the shared spaces. I see, um, just the shared energy of of new york city during that time but um from the outside looking in and where we were um no it was very 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 segregated every genre was was very segregated so punk kids and and rap kids or heavy metal kids and rock kids it was no intermingling it was like you picked your your poison and you stuck with that yeah. uh, because music was very hard to come by um so I, I feel like some people would pick the music just to be in a certain social group. I obviously didn't do that because it was not a social group um, with hip hop where I lived. Um, I wanted to, I, as a kid, I thought of it as like a, a 80s movie because we were in the 80s. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? <clears throat> there can be a punk rock guy. There can be a rap guy. We can hang out. I like hold a boom box. He has a mohawk. This can all work out real well. <laughs> <laughs> I literally remember thinking that like, like I'll wear the windbreaker. Um, yeah. Like that's my character in this group. Like I'll be cool, but it never happened. Like no one liked it. Like people were very adamant about how rap was crap. You know, like that was the saying. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, so that made me just kind of dig my heels in even more. 
and um because i knew what i liked i mean i'm not i wasn't gonna like fake it i i also remember like one of the only non-hip-hop tapes i ever bought was motley crew girls 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 uh <laughs> also a friend from from the the summer camp i went to he was like pushing it on me he was like what you don't like girls man you don't like girls he's like yeah i like girls okay i'll get it i remember i'll, like, I'll see your motley crew and raise you with beastie boys you know <laughs> oh well beastie boys i was um that was a bridge actually to the other kids mm. again as you may remember back then beastie boys were probably some of the only hip-hop these white kids would listen to yeah um and i i kind of like i heard uh fight for your right to party um or i saw the video or something i was like this like it sounded like rock to me i really did not like it at all yeah and I'm like, I'm not listening to this shit. Fuck this. It's weird. Like the like MCA looked like my uncle. He was a biker dude. And you know, I was like, I don't want this. And my mom or my mom and stepdad, I think, bought me the Beastie Boys license to ill tape for a birthday or a holiday. Mm. Um, and I remember I just sat, I just put it away. They were like, like they were like, Hey, why don't you listen to some white people for once? I think they were really concerned <laughs> that everything I listened to was from like, from a culture they had no understanding of. Yeah. And at least they kind of like had a understanding of frat culture, you know, like, or dumb white boy culture, like party mm. culture. Um, and obviously at some point I got very bored. There wasn't internet back then. There wasn't much to do. I was like, all right, I'll listen to this BC boys tape. I fucking fell in love with the shit. Yeah. Um, way more than my friends did. I obsessed, I obsessed over the beastie boys. And even when, when uh, Paul's boutique came out, which I was like fiending for, I could not wait for the next beastie boys drop. And that was just way too out there for any of the other kids who liked the first album and they they swore off the Beastie Boys, and I was like, it just enhanced my love and fandom for what they were doing yeah. as a group, as a hip hop group. You know, because it, it was like they they matured. It was more hip hop to me. And the music improved. Everything about it yeah. was better to me, and, and like everyone else I knew hated it. They were like, this sounds like they're on acid or something, you know. So um, that was hey, my ladies? experience. Yeah. With Beastie Boys. I truly was. I truly was obsessing over them to the point where i would buy like um rag mags there was those like teeny bopper magazines and if like the beastie boys had like a little picture in a corner of the the cover i'd buy it yeah just like anything beastie boy related i'm on it but um you know it's funny i didn't know the beastie boys were white for like a year wow because licensed to we didn't have mtv much music we had something called much music I don't recall them playing any of their videos at the time or whatever, but the, if you remember the cassette just had that plane on it and yeah, there was no right. pictures inside of it. Yeah. Um, and I'm listening to, and at the time I'm listening to, what was that 1986? I'm listening to like MC Ricky D AKA slick Rick. I'm listening to like LO cool J run DMC and stuff like that. I just put them in that, in that pile. And I just thought I, I didn't even think of their race cause I just assumed that they were black. And when I found out they were white, I remember being disappointed. I, I don't know why. I, I don't know why I, I, I felt that way. But um, it's funny also when you said the Fat Boys, I immediately just pictured in my head a cassette with red and yellow type face. Um, yes. And, and, uh, and, and then I'm just cycling through their songs. And it's like, what, what did I like about that? Like at the time, I thought they were the dopest thing ever. But I don't think I could listen to them now. You know? Like, no, no. It, that's, again, 
our age, it's it's so odd how hip hop appealed to us at a certain age because they were making really goofy, immature songs that appealed to people who were that age. Like when we were enough. eight, nine, ten, it was like, yeah, that's goofy and funny and yeah. weird. Wipeout like, is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I did love it. Like um, not as much as I liked Run DMC or or the Beastie Boys or like uh, Slick Rick was a whole other level. LL Cool J was a whole other level. Mm. Um, so I, I guess I could start making a different like, I don't know, I could differentiate between skill level and talent level. Um, but it was all magical to me because I didn't know how any of it was getting made. I didn't really understand how this stuff happens. So even if it was whack, I was down with it like the beat street soundtrack was whack like yeah. the like there was two good songs on it maybe have you tried listening to houdini to lately and houdini i yeah <laughs> yeah that was even even back then that's it's kind of sounded dated <laughs> yeah yeah there was uh someone i was talking to someone about this not too long ago and about how he's like where do you think um like what artist would you credit to to sort of get hip-hop out of the dated like you know um Talking about not the Ray Theo, Tony and Milton, like Cool Mo D sound or whatever to like yeah. something else. And I, the best I could come up, Big Daddy Kane and Rakim, I think were like that, that pavement that went from like, whoa, 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 to something a little bit more, okay, this is dope. And now they're timeless. Like if you listen, I can listen to Microphone Fiend right now and, and nod my head as vigorously as I would have in 1989 yeah, or whatever. Absolutely. Like 100%. I think LL Cool J bridge that gap he mm. helped bridge that gap because he he did he didn't have that like he evolved what, too with oh, it he, ha, who and me yeah. it's like like ll cool j started just had a better flow yeah um even though he was it, what i loved about him too was it was goofy and and rakim's never been goofy so it was like the rakim evolution was he stripped all the goofiness from hip-hop mm. and was just straight faced um, very serious and and like this like I ain't no joke you know like literally this is not funny it's not a joke I'm not trying to make you laugh um, there's no smile in here it's, it's like this is this is my situation this is my life this is my art and um, so yeah for for me it went from the older goofier stuff which I don't I don't want to downplay it and say that's whack because like I enjoyed that for what it was I still do um it's like eras right like they they where they talk about basketball players in certain eras right you know and larry bird's shorts it's not his fault right <laughs> <laughs> larry larry bird's a bad bad man he is but He's his shorts made man. him seem a little goofy <laughs> right but but i i totally feel you uh, can i ask you when you when you first like put pen to pad and 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 you know and talk about how uh Listen, I, I remember um, being, I remember doing it and, and thinking to myself, like I would think of the flow of a rapper that I liked and then just use my own words instead and try to try to understand what patterns were like. It, it wasn't a natural thing, I think, for a lot of us. Right. And I was just wondering, can you can you give me an idea of chronologicalize uh, pen to pad to when you first maybe like pressed your first mixtape or whatever? Yeah, I mean, it was almost immediately. It was as a kid. Um, and a lot of the rappers we just spoke about i was emulating their songs hmm. i was writing out their lyrics i was re like rehearsing them uh recording myself doing those lyrics those songs it was like the first album i i probably memorized from front to back was slick rick yeah um and the ruler's back that one or yeah yeah, yeah. um 
like children's story to this day. Like it's, I, yeah. I've forgotten a lot, but like you put on that song, I know every every lyric and Lottie Dottie, obviously. That was my first song I ever heard in hip hop was Lottie Dottie. Oh yeah, ever. yeah, that yeah. man. I I got to see Slick Rick and Dougie Fresh perform that live oh. at the Blaze Battle in 2000. That uh, idea, rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, he won that battle, and they were one of the performers on that show. I was like there's a video of it online or somewhere where you can see me in the front row, like bugging out, like <laughs> mouth and along. Like, I can't believe I'm seeing this live, yeah. like this mythical song, this mythical collaboration, um, this mythical moment in hip hop that g- gave so many people an understanding of what can be done on stage for a live performance. A hip hop mm-hmm does not have a great reputation for live shows, yep. you know? So for that to be as good as it was a live performance and, and then I got to see it live, like a, a life highlight. Sometimes I forget I even saw that Yeah, because it's just, it's so surreal that such a classic song was performed live in front of me. And I was like right up there in the front row or close to it anyway. But yeah, um, I, I was recording those. I was, I was trying to figure out, just the way to rap um, that I think for me was easy enough. I was a writer by nature, I would say. So I started writing my own raps, obviously like stealing a lot of lines from other people and just turning into my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use a lot of those recordings on, on albums I've released. So you'll hear my like little kid voice pop up intermittently throughout my albums and throughout my catalog. Uh especially if it if it kind of like relates to whatever the song is about so um that and that's i mean i'm running low on that supply like there's not too many recordings but they've yeah. all done their trick man i'm really like proud of the fact that i knew it was smart to to record myself because i believed in the future there would some some sense would be made of it you know um, and I was recording onto a, 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 a four track. No, not even. I had just a tape recorder. Oh, um, pause beats. I love yes, those. Yes. Yeah. Pause beats. That's what, yeah, totally. I was pretty good at that. <laughs> I, um, I, I did that. Uh, I did that with microphone fiend because it gave you an opportunity at the beginning and the end to do the, to take four bars and then just keep going. For those yeah, who don't right. know, I should, we should probably explain what pause beats are. So if you had a dual cassette player when you were a kid. And you ha- and you wanted well, to. Well, you like- have to explain a dual cassette player. Yeah, well, you if you don't know what a dual cassette, cassette player is, then stop listening to my podcast because I'm 47, <laughs> right? No, but uh, so you had a, a now a cassette player was when no okay you had a dual cassette player and you had uh, an album or a cassette in one side that gave you four bars of a beat, which is basically emulating where hip hop beats came from because they used to sample the breaks. Uh, the 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 break in 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 like funk songs and blues or whatever and 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 take that and loop it you'd have to press play record as soon as the four bars are done you pause both you rewind back you record da, 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 and you did that until you had like three and a half minutes or whatever it was time state it was insane how long it would take people to do that shit but that's what that that part of it the ingenuity the way that you had to get creative um, to do it. I don't know. I think that assisted people who really wanted to be artists because you know how they say that it's, it's, uh, um, success is, is, is like half talent, but also half perseverance. If you're, if you're like growing your love for uh, a certain type of music and you're trying to be an artist in that kind of music. And at the same time, you have to work so hard and persevere just to make that music. 
that's where magic comes from. I think that's where guys like you probably were able to succeed as, as artists in this scene, just because you knew it came out of a passion and a love for it. Yeah. It's also why a lot of people like me probably fell off and just gave up because it was so hard. Hmm. Um, and maybe they didn't f see the opportunities that I was blessed to have down the line, but I did have to scrape by for a long time and wait for those opportunities to come about. And then when they were there, I had to have, the tenacity and skill level to, to really tackle it to a point where it was worth, like I made it all worth it for everybody. Yeah. You know, um, um, sorry, go ahead. So the Tascam recordings eventually did happen in 1996. I got my hands on a four track and I was recording, like no one was making beats. That was very difficult to find. Mm -hmm. No one knew how to make beats uh, in my area. A couple, I mean, I would say in 92, which is weird. This guy, DJ book, who still DJs on the radio to this day. He was the first guy to make me a, a, an original beat. Um, and I was the weird white kid from out of town who would go to Providence, which was, you know, the capital city of Rhode Island. And I would attend these talent shows and battles and total, like as a total unknown. Why is the Italian kid always winning? I'm just kidding. That's a problem. <laughs> well, I'm not everybody. Italian, yeah. but they probably thought I was. <laughs> yeah. um, they, I mean, again, one of the only white people in the whole crowd, perhaps yeah. the only white person. And a lot of people have the same kind of story who came up, came up during that era. If they're white, um, you really had to prove yourself. It was very easy for people to clown on you, not trust you. So at the time I was doing double time raps and I was like mm. emulating chip foo and, and twista tongue twista, um, yeah. just showing like Supreme skill level so that I wasn't immediately uh, called Vanilla Ice. And people, can I just interject for a second? People yeah. need to understand um, it was hard enough being a white rapper before Vanilla Ice came out. But after Vanilla Ice came out, it was like, it was automatic. If, if, if like almost universally after Vanilla Ice came out, if you walked into a part, house party or something like that and, and someone said, hey, that guy's a rapper, you would get a very signature universal once over look of disbelief and dismissal it happened all the time yeah you know it did. and sorry go ahead um yeah so that was the only time someone made me a beat and then i uh i, I started infiltrating our local um college radio station for their um well, they had 12-inch vinyl, which would have instrumentals of rap songs and other type things where I would steal them and then record my own raps over them. So that's how I made my first mixtape or, or demo tape, I would say. It wasn't even yeah. a mixtape. It was like four songs. And that was in 1996, where I just was so lost in what to do. I didn't really believe there was a future for me in music, but I still loved it so much. Um, I was supposed to be studying something, trying to get some type of job. And all I could think about was lyrics, you know, all I could think about was putting like my life experience into hip hop. And um, so that's what I did. And it wasn't, there was no promise for many years. I, it still looked like right up until 1999, that's only when it started to give me a glimpse that there was a possibility. There was a future in it for me because the internet happened. Mm. And once the internet became, available to everybody all over the world 
Um, I think a lot of the people from the outskirts that weren't always considered or welcomed into hip hop were able to find one another and, and just be creative with one another and find their own niche, find their own niche audiences. Um, Still trying to go a traditional route. And I'm not saying like we abandoned boom bap or that that wasn't our passion, but we, by that time, I think we had been shunned long enough that we were just, on our own shit and and there was a great audience out there who was like i like this other shit too um yeah you mentioned um you mentioned the internet came out so uh i want to i'm going to fast forward a little bit here um because 9 11 happened in 2001 and napster was fairly new back then and uh exactly one month later on october 11th 2001 you put out a song called makeshift patriot and makeshift patriot i think if i if if i'm gonna sort of decipher the lyrics uh you know uh, my my own because I, I i actually haven't listened to you talk about this in an interview before but um the it kind of created a an identity for you that i don't think was intentional where people kind of thought that you were a political rapper um but before we get into that i, I think that um the way that you utilize napster and didn't run away from it and 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 kind of like you did a a really like like in today's world drake always gets uh credit for um the way that he ties in viral marketing schemes with his album and singles releases and stuff like that (laughs) i don't know if it was intentional or not but in hindsight it was a very very smart move um to to put out a song like makeshift patriot in uh on a counter-cultural technology that is allowing people to like download things for free and then a month after the most significant event in all of our lives that happened up until that time, was there thought put into that or did that, did the sort of stars just sort of align in that way? And that's what happened. Uh, partly the stars aligned in that way, just because I wanted this song out immediately. Um, I didn't have distribution. I didn't have any powers behind me. I, you know, I, I was not funded by any company or, or label, um and napster was there you know so i was like i'm putting it on napster for free in fact i said it i'm going to put it for free for one day um in hopes that it would spread word between everyone like yo download this now Mm -hmm. um but then they were able to get it everywhere else i knew that would happen so it didn't matter but i was like i that was i guess my me thinking i was a marketing genius or or whatever promotional genius i'm like hey smart we're releasing this for free one day. Come get it. You can't get it anywhere else. Uh, but the the whole um, motive behind it really was to, man, <laughs> get a get a, a a a different point of view out to people who kept hearing the same thing over and over from the media and from their like social surroundings. Because uh, it was driving me crazy. I was like, I'm sure this is driving other people crazy. Let me speak something that they're probably thinking in their head that they would love to hear from someone else, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but also at the same time to make them question. It was for people to question the media, to question what was happening in our government. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it was a grand conspiracy theory song. Uh, people can because I'm not there. I wasn't there to make people say this is exact. I wasn't saying this is what happened. I'm right. like, as, as far as how nine 11 happened, but I was like, this is curious. And this is curious. You're saying this, that's fucked up. 
this is, you know, like everyone needs to calm down a little bit, take a step back and realize they're being racist as hell. And, uh, you know, all the other things I addressed in the song. And it was like a life changing, country changing, world changing event. Not Nothing's been the same since then. And then we experienced a lot of similar things in a different way with the pandemic. But it's like that changed things like a lot of stuff just never will go back to the way that it was. Yeah, it wasn't like most. De- was it most deaf and Jadakiss that put out "Bush knocked down the towers"? <laughs> uh, was it was it Immortal Technique, or oh, was that his voice? That, that I think that was his voice. I I just looked or, it up, or, and it says uh, Eminem, most deaf and Jadakiss. I think Eminem had like one line in it, or something. Okay, like yeah, that, there but, was a couple songs like that. I mean, and and I think Makeshift Patriot is not part of that ilk. No, I wasn't no, there no. saying that Bush did it. I am saying that they the Bush like Bushes did train. Osama bin Laden uh, and a lot of other things, but I'm not saying that the point of the song wasn't that we knocked down the buildings. Whatever. What the is it? What is they, maybe I should have asked you? What is a makeshift patriot? Uh, someone who put them uh, at that moment. It was just funny that everyone suddenly needed an American flag to a hang from their car. Yeah. And yeah. And on their lapels, it was like they're just, they weren't. That was never a thing. That wasn't their personality up until that moment. All of a sudden, it's like, go America, kill Arabs, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to put up uh, not a complete list of the work that you put out. Um, I think it's uh, it's like a dozen albums um, ranging from 2001 to what, 20, I guess this list is 2014. Uh, the I, I heard you say in an interview, let me see if I can get it right. I, I did write a note for this. Um, that you were trying to understand uh, during the pandemic, especially, I think you were trying to understand your new approach to music. This seems like an, like a, like a repeating iteration for you um, to not reinvent yourself, but as you're, as you experience personal growth, your artistry kind of changed with you as you changed, as you got older. Uh, is that does that happen organically or do you have to uh fight the urge to um draw from your the way that you used to do things on the mic no it's totally organically uh the things that i think the way um words come out of my mouth the energy that i have it's like i work with that i work with that situation and that circumstance so people going back to my first studio release, which was personal journals, my sound and style is so different from then. Mm. And some people are able to maintain the same style and sound throughout their career. That was never my intention. Um, um, never an expectation of mine. And I always knew that I would be documenting my life. Um as it went without trying to force anything, it was like, right. The right. It all is based in writing. So if I'm writing something that is true to my moment and to what I believe or something that really entertains me, um, then I figure out how to voice it and how my voice works with that. And of course you have to factor in the beat and what kind of beats are being provided. And I work within that beat um, and that vibe and that mood. It's like all these factors are, are are swirling around in the moment to create what you eventually record. 
and then probably edit to shit the way that I do sometimes. But it's like I couldn't make the same album um, that I did to three years ago or f- ten years ago. It's just yeah. like it's, I like to I like to do throwback sounds sometimes to be like I still got it. Like I can still do that kind of thing. Yeah. But there will always be a twist to what I do. Um, just because I don't have a choice in the matter. It's really just my circumstance and I work with my circumstance. Uh, if, if I listen to, uh, um, say, Makeshift Patriot and then Escape Artist and then The Best of Times, there's, I mean, conceivably, you could, you could, uh, you could think that those might be three different artists, right? There's obviously a uh, parallel, you know, there, there's a, there's a Sage Francis cadence, cadence that's consistent with all three of them, but the styles are different. And I'm wondering if, if as you got older, um, and I think a lot of like, and I don't, I, I was saying off air, I don't like the term white rapper because it just feels like I'm saying something political or something and I'm not, but it felt like white artists in hip hop almost had a responsive, not a responsibility, but they tend to gravitate to rhyming over music that wasn't straight up hip hop beats. And, and for me, the reason why I stopped doing it kind of like that is because I didn't, as I got older, my pants became less baggy and I felt like I wasn't being myself anymore. So I, I guess my question is when, when you rhyme over different styles of music that if you heard it on its own, it wouldn't be considered a hip hop song until you hear someone rap over it. You know, are you, is, is that something that um, you do, you do consciously? I, this might be a repeat of the question I just asked the organic versus not so much, but I guess my question is that uh does that make you feel more comfortable and more like yourself uh, rhyming over stuff that uh, sometimes you can't imagine a rapper on until you hear yourself rhyming over it? Oh, I, I do love to do that. <laughs> mm. um, this it's funny. We already talked about this, but this goes back to the days when I was recording stuff off the radio as a kid, mm. just dying for to hear anything I could rap over anything without vocals. That's where I built those muscles because there wasn't like like radio DJs weren't just throwing on hip hop beats. You know, there would be a rock song or indie rock song with an extended instrumental section of it. If it had drums on it and it was in a certain tempo, I was on it and I was writing to it. I was like, I was warping myself into that mix and trying to make sense of it. And I like, didn't think it was cool. It was just was what it was. It was my, like whatever I had at my disposal um so 30 years down the line i find myself in a situation with the life album where the best of times was on Mm. um and i'm working with the punk rock label and they said you know it was my last album with them they they presented the opportunity for me to work with like bands who've never done hip-hop stuff before and i was like you know what like i don't know if i'll ever have this opportunity again i want them to send me demos of music that they think like isn't like they're not trying to do rap stuff i don't want to hear them try to do hip-hop i want them to give their their music to me and i will make it Mm hip-hop you know like i will provide the hip-hop element to it um and hopefully it all turns into something very unique that like has never been done before and like or i never would have done myself because i'm always looking for the ill hip-hop boom bap beats honestly like if i had premiere by my side you'd never hear me rapping over a fucking like (laughs) guitar ever but he's not by my side and it it forced my hand to find other types of music to rap over 
um, that was unique and, and exciting and interesting and different. Of course, I would love like, man, get like LP and fucking DJ Shadow and premiere in a room and, and Prince Paul. Like I, that's that was that's what I want. Yeah. That's not what I'm going to get. Um, or it was what I wanted. Like it eventually turned into this thing where I started working with other people and realizing it drew something different out of me that I didn't know was there. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, I look at it and like, damn, like that was unique and it affected people in a way I never predicted and people related to it. People were drawn to it. Of course, some hip hop kids were like, fuck that. That's not rap. That's not like what yeah. I'm used to. So I don't want to hear that shit. It is what it is. I think everything will come full circle. You'll start seeing all just like all the, the, the popular hip hop acts these days are called emo rap. Like, yeah, you know, they're talking about personal struggles and issues in an open and vulnerable way. Like we started, we did that shit too, mm-hmm. you know, over 20 years ago with no recognition, <laughs> mind you, um, we cleared the path. We helped like people figure out how it gets done, how it can be done smoothly, um, authentically. And that's fine with me because like, yeah, everything does come full circle. You'll see the cycles of it. You'll see people again, like I was rapping over stuff that didn't even have drums on it. Um, I got shunned for that by some people. And now it's kind of popular for rappers just to rap over music that has no drums. I've been doing, I've been seeing that. Um, and it's because I want to segue into Buck 65 because he's a Canadian rapper and you've worked he's with him. The but fucking illest. Yeah. yeah. And we had a, okay, there's a guy, I don't know if you've ever heard of Classified, another rapper from yes, up here. Of course. So Classified, uh, <clears throat> he was on the show and I went to see him live. I guess it was four months ago or something. Um, and he's doing a show where it's just like, it's just him on stage uh, with like a guitar player and like a uh, like a like an MPC or something like that. Like and and it's just that. That's and a, um, that's an awesome combination, by the way. Yeah, I love right? that setup. Yeah, that and so do I. And I wasn't trying to take anything away from him. What I told him was like, dude, I'm so happy that you're doing this because in my mind it was like finally, because not for him, but just in general. I think rappers, and, and, and I really mean this, I, I saw Nas do an enti- the entire Illmatic album with an orchestra in New York. Um, I think it was 10 years ago or something like that. And, and it was dope. But the idea, remember MTV used to do Nirvana Unplugged and Alice yeah. in Chains Unplugged? I don't understand why that hasn't become extraordinarily popular to see artists who are lyricists especially to do Unplugged shows with a guy playing an acoustic guitar or a hand drummer or a piano player or something like that. Yeah. I, I, I don't, did, I, I did that. I did a full, my first huge national tour in 2004 was called um, the fuck clear channel tour. Clear channel eventually <laughs> became live yeah. nation. Right. Um, we did about 44 shows across the U S and it was me, um, two electric acoustic guitar players and someone triggering um, the beats that was just the drum machine. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite setup. I love that. And I'm, I'm, I'm all, I'm talking to someone right now trying to figure out how we can do that for another tour of mine. If I do a full tour, that's what I want to do, but sorry to interrupt. No, no, please. Because it, first of all, it's, it makes sense economically, you know, cause you don't have to drag around all this stuff with you on tour. Um, second of all, to your point, I am one of those people that you mentioned earlier, live hip hop, 
it, it's like 50 50 for me when i go see a live I, i've been i'm not going to name names but I've, I've gone to to shows before with big name artists and i was i left really disappointed because yeah, almost it, always almost yeah, always <laughs> exactly it's it's just and i don't know what the reason is i mean it, it's it's like arenas and hip-hop don't really mix no nope. right nope. literally don't mix <laughs> like nope. you can't mix that sound um and but uh you know it, this eliminates that because if you're able to then just sit on a stage in a club of like maybe 400 people max or something like that and it's a sit down audience and you got like one of these little mics or even a boom like you, i've seen guys do that like where or they pace on stage and they just have the headset thing and they're rhyming and it, you don't you don't hear any of this you don't you don't hear any like hard b's and p's it is amazing and and i think a lot of rappers are tentative to do that because you're not rocking the crowd or you're not you know what i mean like you're yeah. not you're not you're not waving their hands and shit but right. lyrics are so important. generation x is proving itself to be a viable market for rappers who care about lyrics and want people to hear what they're saying is basically what i'm saying i think yeah i mean hip-hop is so many things so there's always the room for the rah-rah acts um and this room they should have made more room for the the lyricists to um put on a different type of show unfortunately i think a lot of the lyricists felt inadequate on stage and um it's difficult to perform in front of a live audience um and feel like everyone's hearing what you're saying when you're rocking over a beat and you're mm. projecting your voice and basically feel like you have to yell and you lose a lot of nuance in your delivery when you do that i think it takes a very seasoned performer to find the comfortable um mindset and and and, and set in general to to perform it in a way where they can accept that the crowd is enjoying what they're doing, even though it's not like throw your hands in the air type mm -hmm. shit, you know? Um, but you're comfortable doing that. Do, do you owe some of that to uh, doing slam poetry? Yeah. I, I would say that my, my, my time in spoken word poetry was a great lesson in how you can thrill an audience without all the extras. Mm -hmm. So I started to incorporate that into my hip hop sets where I would just do, I would start the show off with a spoken word piece, which was really yeah. unheard of back then. And now I think it's kind of um, common where people will like drop the beat and be like, I'm going to do this one acapella. It, it wasn't really heard of back when I was doing it. In fact, well, I never saw anyone do it, but it, like, it felt so good. It was like the crowd I know is hearing every word. Um, I'm able to play with my, my inflection and, and really not just like syncopate these like and do you can pause you can so, pause yeah, while they snap their fingers and shit right like yeah fuck that <laughs> <laughs> fuck the snaps and fuck the hisses i but, hated the snaps like, let's yeah. get it on yeah um so we we live in a weird weird age now um oh first of all before i get into that um buck 65 how did you guys meet and uh and and is, he's on your label too isn't he he is yes yeah. um kind of we did one album with him we've worked with him a ton mm. i first met him in 1999 i drove up to nova scotia halifax um with a, a adm and 62 was also there and we recorded a bunch of songs together we stayed there for a few days um they were 
I thought they were part of Anticon. It was kind of a, a confusing relationship at the time. Mm-hmm. But what we were recording was something that would be submitted to Anticon, and then Anticon didn't fuck with it. Um, 6-2 ended up putting a, a lot of, uh, or I think the whole thing on a project called Songs I Hate. Um, it also went on my first mixtape, uh, yeah. Sick of Waiting. And um yeah but i was a huge fan of bucks like buck 65 i would say is one of the last hip-hop artists who truly inspired me Hmm. or even um influenced me i can't like point out many hip-hop acts at all um outside of my childhood heroes that i can say that influenced what i do buck 65 is one of those dudes the way he approached his music, the way he approached um, or the way he would just do non-traditional hip hop songs that would would not even need a chorus. You know, like he'd do one verse and then the beat would fade out and you'd be like, what the fuck? Where's the rest of the song? You're like, where's the chorus, man? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, he said what he needed to say. I was like, you know what? I love that. Um, and you'll see that I went on to do that probably for the rest of my career like once mm-hmm. i say what needs to be said if i can't think of like a really interesting way to like build upon that the song's over like it's a two-minute song fuck it yeah what well, and, and the, the thank god for the internet in a way because um a lot of people didn't don't realize that one of the big reasons why songs are three minutes and are arranged that the way that they're arranged is be is because of radio play um you know you, you gotta you gotta fit songs in between ads uh, you know, in and um, that formula of of like sixteen bars, you know, four bar yeah. hooks, sixteen bars. It, it, it was largely because of that. Um, also, uh, oh, <laughs> Buck sixty five. He doesn't know this probably even, but I wrote uh, uh, the video music, his music video treatment for four six three. Oh um, wow! Yeah, so I, I George Vale directed it. He was a friend of mine. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a fucking uh, cool video, man. <laughs> it, it, it is a cool video. George yeah. changed it a little bit, but like he kept it pretty much the concept that it was was pretty dope. Was, it's that, funny because that was like really cool effects for the time. Uh, oh my god! Well, that's all George. George was like um, George Vale. He invented something called liquid light, and he basically with the old school cameras, um, he just ripped the shutter off and would put lights like for like the bands like the Tea Party and Danko Jones and stuff like that in their videos. And um, and he would take he would do still shots like that uh, when the band was playing or wide shots, sorry. And uh, the light would leak onto the film and create this the coolest effect, right? So wow. he he was doing shit like that, and that was like two thousand six, I think, something like that. Oh, yeah, well, I would say before that. Was it before that? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know what? I think you're right. Like two thousand. I was trying to think who was I with at the time. Which girl broke my heart around that time? And it was Nelly. So it was probably around two thousand three. Yes. Like that. Yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, but, I, I've worked with him steadily since then. We've toured together many times. We've toured the states. We've toured Europe together. Um, he, he obviously went through a lot of crazy stuff in his life. He dipped from the internet. Um, we stayed in touch still, and like he was telling me, he's like totally done. He's not going to do anything anymore. And I knew it was kind of bullshit. He if he listens lot. to this, I'm sorry, Rich, but. He's yeah. one of the most creative people I've ever met. And there's no way someone that creative is going to sit on all these ideas and yeah. not explode. You know, yeah. so it's like eventually he's coming out with more incredible beats. We started working on a project together in 2017. 
which nothing's come out yet. Um, mm. I ended up having to, like a lot of stuff happened to me as well. Um, but we, we laid down the foundation for something that's going to be pretty incredible. And, um, now that I'm married with children and, um, my life has just like changed so drastically, I'm still trying to figure out how best to approach, uh, releasing an album and, or even recording it. Like it's, it's become very difficult, but I'm going to work it out. And I, I get to pick my spots with Buck because he's releasing his own albums now too. Like he's not Mm. just doing beats now. He's just like release. He's like, it's pouring out of him. And um, his last release, uh, super dope. So goddamn good. Um, I got to get in touch with him for another strange, famous project uh, today or tomorrow. But um, (laughs) I feel bad that like he laid all these really, really incredible beats on me that I haven't done total justice to yet, mm. but I tried, I made up for it by having uh, him produce a beat for Buck for uh, uh, Chuck D from public oh. enemy, uh, me and Chuck rapping over a buck 65 beat, which will appear oh, on my next album. So he was very excited about that. It was kind of my, like, I'm so happy. Like he's happy about that. Cause I know he's probably feeling very frustrated that he did this incredible work that no one has heard yet. That uh, like, I think they're very dope songs, but mm-hmm. I have to like rework them in my current circumstance. But yeah. Chuck D is uh, one of those, one of those artists and, and personalities in hip hop that, um, like he's like literally part of the fabric of the quilt that makes up hip hop culture itself. Like, like he, when I, I was a political, I, I went to journalism school. Uh, I was a writer. I did all that stuff. And um, I, I, I write about politics uh, to this day. And I, I tell people this story sometimes. It, Chuck D, um, the song Fight the Power and the movie Do the Right Thing wasn't just my introduction into racial politics, but my introduction into what politics were just in general yeah i can see that and um yeah i think it's a similar situation with me yeah yeah um what's it like do you you, if you know him personally or if you've met him whatever uh tell me tell me the idea of what you had about chuck d in your mind versus what the real chuck d might be like (laughs) because i and and i'm expecting a vast difference and that's and and i think that that's the right answer right I think his image he was like a superhero to us when we were kids, you know, he's, to- he's a total superhero. Yeah. Um, you know, the angry black man image, um, just cause he was portraying a lot of the messages that needed to be heard from the black community. But like Chuck D is such a kind, gentle, understanding person. Um, a lot of people would call a nerd. Like the guy is a nerd. He nerds out about baseball stuff, drawing and comics and, like he's not is you know he's not the militant like he's not in your face militant but the music is you know so mm. my interactions with him have been kind of brief but he's also been um so generous with his time and energy when when interacting with me whenever that happens whether it be on twitter or like in emails yeah. and um he's been generous with spreading my music he's been very like I don't expect that, you know, like I don't expect my hero to tell his followers that like my stuff is worth checking out or that I'm dope or whatever. Like all of that is so 
so extra, you know, like, mm-hmm. let me do your laundry, Chuck D. Let me, <laughs> please, let me, like. <laughs> I need to shine your Pittsburgh pirate hat, please. <laughs> let, let me, let me sort your, your, like, baseball card collections, Chuck D. Let me do these things for you. Don't do stuff for me, but, um, yeah, so he's he's been. Um, a friend of mine just, just writes a comment saying Chuck loves James, and he's joking. Um, I had a bad few days. Um in 2016 where i was i was working for huffington post and uh in toronto um one of the founders of the black lives matter organization in toronto just said a bunch of really crazy stuff and so i wrote a piece called black lives matter co-founder needs to resign and um i don't think chuck read the article because if he did he would have seen oh okay so you're not saying i wasn't trying to insert myself as the white guy trying to tell black people to do but he did uh he did sort of imply that i was a racist and so I had to get Ernie Panicoli, who's like one of the greatest hip hop photographers of all time. He also happens to be a personal friend to mediate between me and Chuck D so that, and I was just like, Ernie, can you just tell him I'm not a racist? Please can you just please tell him that. And, and then he did. And then, so there was a, there was a mediation. It felt like a mobster thing. Like I was in the Sopranos in like Jersey and like, you know, Joey Sachs needed to talk or something, but um, you know, except I'm not, you know, a mafia boss. And uh, Chuck D is in in the sense of uh, hip hop world, but um, <laughs> but do you know how heartbreaking it was to to like? Oh, I can no, I can only imagine. Honestly, oh, I, he like, tweets I, out. Sorry that he, happened. He tweets think, out three hundred years of white supremacy has spawned this and posted my article, and I'm like, I had your posters on my wall. I got bullied for the fear of the Black Planet shirt. <laughs> oh man, I had like uh, when we went on a on a, a field trip in school, I convince the um bus driver to put on the fear of a black planet right when it came out yeah and it's one of my favorite memories just because the whole my whole class had to listen to this like hip-hop album which was you know weird it kind of is weird like the way it starts off and everything about it but yeah um but i'm sorry that happened chuck d probably like is not able to fully digest all information that comes his way. I've already forgiven him. A billion people trying to get in his ear. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of the very lucky ones where he actually listens, listened to my music and, and gave it props and like sat with me and chatted with me when he did. Um, but yeah, like I, I'm sorry that happened to you. Oh, don't worry. No, you know what? It's funny. It's funny. My friend brought it up because he knew that I would talk about it for a second. It all worked out though. Did, it, it worked out. Like, I mean, he, he probably, if he saw my name, I don't think he would even remember it. Like, you know, like, and it's, right. and I'm kind of happy about that. <laughs> to be perfectly honest you know, if, if he called me a racist, if he said anything like that, cause I feel you. Cause if he said that to me, I'd, I'd be like, okay, I guess I am. <laughs> like, like, Chuck D. Like, I will go home and ponder what you've said and come up with something <laughs> to God. Yeah. yeah no it was it was it was one of those things but um yeah it, it just because i've met a bunch of the uh rappers that uh that i that i worshipped as a kid and i met them as adults and all of them really surprised me with how um thankful they they seemed about what you talk i met guru for example in toronto oh, like 20 yeah yes. exactly like 25 years ago or something like that and uh it was right when jazzmatazz came out oh, and wow. um and I was like one of very, I feel like you probably were, but I was one of few people who really embraced it. 
I did, I did. And I, did... I didn't hear anyone talk shit about that record until very recently. Oh, really? Like, oh, other people didn't like that record? I was like, yeah. At the yeah. time, and these are people that I respect, were like, being like, I don't like the way he phoned it in. They, they were saying that his lyrics were, were, were not as good. And I was trying, I, I would try my best to say, like, I think he was trying to be an instrument. Like, you got Bird and Marsalis playing instruments yeah. around you. Maybe you don't want to try to, like, Whatever. Anyways, um, Isn't that I, kind I gave of his style anyway. Like he wasn't, he, he kind of like a the phone in style in general because that wasn't that was a part of his delivery. It was, I don't know. It's mostly the voice. Style to me. Yeah, it's mostly the voice, right? Um, but uh, when I gave I gave him props for that, and we talked for like ten minutes. At, at the end, it was a TV appearance for Gangstar, and at the end, when the when we went off air, like literally everybody just swarmed premiere and left Guru by himself. So I was like. Uh, I'm a rapper. I'll just go up to Guru. I don't fucking, you know, this is awesome. And he right. gave me like 10, 15 minutes of his time. And I, and we talked about Jasmine Taz and this and that. And at the end, I'm always careful to be the guy that leaves first. I never want them to be like, okay, buddy, I got to go. now. I hate that shit. So <laughs> I want to leave first. That's right? you. <laughs> yeah. So, so I said, listen, man, thank you for your time. And he, and he shook my hand. He brought me in for one of these. And then he, he kept my hand in his hand. He's like, listen, it's your time too, buddy. And I was just like, fuck, you know, that's, dope thing to say and yeah, sweet. I, I love it when artists uh turn out to be just as like kind and 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 kind of like you know accessible as you would hope they would be it's rare it's very rare um catch them at the right time you know i feel like you're like famous among famous people like, I, like oh, in, in the music industry i mean in the, in hip-hop like i feel like if you asked like if you asked like 10 rappers who everyone knows what they think of Sage Francis. I think all of them know you. Yeah. Oddly, I'm finding that out. Um, they wouldn't dare say my name in any kind of press statement. But, <laughs> because yeah, the press I might mean, not know who you are, but the rappers do, right? The rappers do. Yeah. I mean, I've, I have no radio presence. Like I'm not, there's no mainstream element to me. I've like my music has appeared in movies, but not, not enough to the point where it's just general knowledge of like Sage Francis does this. Um, but I think I've done it long enough and I've been innovative enough. And a lot of people have probably like had to reference me for how certain things happened down the line. And like the Grammys mentioning me for the 50th anniversary of hip hop episode. Um, I didn't get like that. had my name, had my name up on the wall along with a lot of other like people who would never win a Grammy. That was like, mind-blowing tell me about that i didn't know about that yeah at the last grammys they did the 50th anniversary of hip-hop celebration where they had like a lot of great mcs and djs and people like groups come out and perform and in the background there was names posted are, are kind of projected onto a wall that said hip-hop and it like or it was scrolling names and my name was one of them wow and people like took screenshots of it and showed it to me and i thought they were fucking with me at first uh, on the, and then i found out it actually was like my name up there along with everyone else's and i was like wow and then i found out quest love was the one who like picked out the names that would appear um really well that's that's a fucking story to tell your grandkids <laughs> but it, it feels like i can't really like they wouldn't care <laughs> yeah fair enough <laughs> it's like oh great your name was on a wall at the grammys oh okay but yeah. to me, it was it was like um, 
special validation. It was, it was Dude, like, Quest wow, like, Love was asked to get to put to, to, to make a list of rappers to feature on the projection wall for hip hop's 50th birthday. And he chose you among others. Wait, was it like the rappers that hold up the indie scene? Like what was his? Yeah. Task? Yeah. It was a lot of, yeah. It was like immortal technique was up there and shit like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So like atmosphere, um, but also like what more well-known artists as well. Yeah. I can't oh. even remember right now. All I cared, all I cared about was Sage Francis. So <laughs> <laughs> I was well, like, well, what the fuck? And like, um, you know, like my family finally is like, oh yes, okay, it's really a thing now. Okay. Be- before I let you go, um, I want to ask. Um, I'm a huge Nardwar fan, uh, being a Canadian, right? I think he's probably shout out to Nardwar. Yes. He's probably the best interviewer on the planet, and it's not just because he's silly. I-, I don't know who what. Like, does he have a Rolodex of relatives of artists that he calls in order to get all this information? Like, I don't know how he does it. Um, I, I have a general idea, but he's the best at it, and he's the only one that does what he does. But he asked you a very interesting question. So I am wondering if you have had the chance to listen to Space Jazz, but composed by L. Ron Hubbard yet. I did. I did. And I, in fact, I made beats out of the music that's on it. It's incredibly funky. Like, um, <laughs> Really? it's 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 not i wouldn't call it jazz it's a it's electronic and synthy and very hip-hop <laughs> um i made like i made man i was doing these things called the Godcast back in the day um not too far back in the day but like when we were recording the epic beardman project mm. uh that was like 2015 or so I, you know, I was going through all my records. I finally went, came across that one. I was like, yes, I'm going to listen to this. I was like, oh my God, this shit's really dope. But I was like, I, I don't think I would ever really use it on anything I release officially, but I made mixes for myself and beats for myself that I put over other sound bites. And like, I might release something like that at some point. But Imagine yeah. trying to clear the sample through Scientology offices. Like, <laughs> no. Imagine me trying to clear any sample. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what, what do you got going on right now? I, I know that you, right, there's not a new album coming out, but I think you're touring soon. Are you not? I'm, I'm just doing shows. I just started doing shows um, this year. It has been like over three years since I had performed live. Um, most notably, we just wrapped, we just did the strange famous fest, which was a festival I put together in Denver, Colorado. Mm. Um, it was a, it's free to the public and it was an incre- incredible venue called the Levitt pavilion outdoors state-of-the-art sound system led screens um a ton of artists on the strange famous light label and they said they want to do it again next year so like we're starting a tradition now that was the very first strange famous fest we're going to do it next year we're going to get some canadians on it next year we got lee reed um who will be releasing uh, another album on strange famous in 2024 um so that was uh i met him when touring canada and his live show speaking of live hip-hop i was like this is how the fuck it's done when i saw him with his dj the energy that he brought i was like yo lee reed please work with us so um yeah shout out to him um as for me I, i am working on various records i just did two songs on a um meter maids album coming out in a couple months called line in the sky i did an album i mean a um, song with trademark and mopes 
Um, the album is called Ham and Egger. It's got a ton of really cool features on it. That comes out, I think, next month. Um, and I'm working with our artists on Strange Famous Records until I release my own mixtapes and maybe i'll do a box set of all the mixtapes that i've done mm-hmm. uh and like rarities because i know it's very tough to find now with everything being on streaming services and i can't put a bulk of my mixtape material on streaming services right so i think it'll be cool just to wrap everything up with a big giant box set of like sage francis mixtape songs rarities remixes and whatever um whether it be physical or digital <laughs> but it's going to be all in one spot Okay. all in one place but we got a lot planned the personal journals 20 year anniversary has been happening so we've been like releasing different um like a repress of the vinyl we did an action figure wait let me grab it yeah yeah so this action figure sold out um oh, right on. <laughs> almost immediately and uh so we got like um lots of like unique items like that that we're just using to celebrate the that album and for all that it meant for like independent hip-hop as well as strange famous records moving forward and the artists that we now work with which is building and i'm very proud of the artists that we have in our circle who are inspiring one another and not expecting to ever get rich off this so they're just Mm. like really going back to the roots of being as creative as possible to impress one another and impress themselves. And we release it and like, just keep this fucking thing going. Let's be as creative as possible and have as much fun as possible and speak our truth. And hopefully the crowds will follow. Well, listen, hip hop, I think needs stuff like that. Um, Just music and, and just our society in general, I think needs stuff like that. Like passion, is a better fuel than um, than trying to make hits, uh, and I think that uh, you you've done that um, that that you know songs that resonate. Oh, you know what I was going to play or, or I was going to show you, um, and I was totally blown away by this when I saw this. Um, just it was I don't know yesterday or today. I couldn't believe the things that I was seeing from um, people that were listening to Best of Times. I'm going to have to look it up on uh, YouTube because I can't find the screenshot that I took. But um, if you look at the comments on on your track, Best of Times, I'm completely floored. I know you're not supposed to. A lot of people don't read comments. I don't know if you do or not. Um, The very first comment is uh, by a guy named Charlie Coleslaw. This song legitimately stopped me from attempting suicide in 2011. Now, 10 years later, I have two beautiful children and life is great. Thank you, Sage. Thank you, Sage. Another one said, I still listen to this every time something significant happens. When I lost my job, I came back here. When I lost my car, I came back here. When I lost it all, I came back here. I found a girlfriend that I envisioned a wonderful future with. I was here. Yesterday, I got a kick-ass job. Finally, I came back here like every time and I was moved to tears. That's the kind of stuff that I think as an artist um, is amazing to, to, to listen to. You can't get caught up with it. You got to kind of get on with it. But being able to read that and knowing what, what artists maybe like yourself, whatever your go-to song was when you were feeling sad, that someone else has put you in that place adjacent to their pain or their joy while they're experiencing it. That's got to mean something. That's special, yeah, for sure. Um, it does always get balanced out by awful horrible comments other people make <laughs> so, oh, fuck. People. i take the good with the bad you know like, but, yeah. but when people say stuff like that i, I kind of i just wish them the best you know like we, yeah. we are all going through shit um if, if my music assisted you in any kind of way just as even as a, like 
a gentle tap on the shoulder like hey i've been there too you know like it's beautiful your, so I your song it. grace made me realize oh someone else has dated a narcissist it's amazing uh, <laughs> <laughs> who hasn't <laughs> that's right sage francis thank you very much for joining us today on black belt I, I really appreciate your time and hopefully you yeah thank you soon. i hope to i hope to meet you in person i definitely plan to make it to toronto within the next year so okay well i'll, I'll be there man i'll be there thank All you right, so brother. much for joining us today reach out whenever you want i will buddy thanks man sage francis um that was a treat for me i really enjoyed that I, I he's exactly how i thought he would be and uh and and i'm really uh you know fortunate and grateful that i was able to speak with him for an hour because um yeah he's one of those dudes he's he's uh i don't have a mount rushmore of rappers i don't do that i don't think ranking is good for anybody um but there are there are a few independent artists that uh have never really left the crate that i listen to on a regular basis and and say Francis is one of those guys immortal technique is one of those guys there's there's a whole list um so i'd like to thank say Francis again for joining me i have uh casual friday on friday and there's two interviews that i'm still kind of working on between now and then you'll be the first to know and we'll see you next time on black ball black ball black 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 ball Hi, I'm Emily Roger. And I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, 4Kids Flashback. 4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.